we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to help us to see what you would want us to see. And we thank you and look for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 21, starting at verse 9. But when you shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then he said unto him, Nation shall rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, in famines and pestilence, and, and fearful sights and great signs shall be there from the heavens. But before all these they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into the prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts. Do not meditate before what you shall answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which, you, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends, and some of you shall, they shall cause to be put to death. And you shall be hated by all men for my sake. But there shall not a hair on your hair perish. In your patience possess you your souls. We're going to look at this for a moment because we're going to start talking here about the end times. Now, when is Jesus coming? The answer is nobody knows. Jesus even said only the Father knows. And I don't know if that's still true in heaven or not, but while he was here, he did not know. We do not know. Every few years, you will hear somebody telling you that they have calculated when Jesus is coming back. I've been a Christian long enough, I have heard it over and over again. Jesus is coming back. You know, I don't know if how many of you would have remembered in 1948, Jesus was, uh, 1988, Jesus was supposed to come back because the Jews had become a nation in, in 48 and the generation wasn't supposed to pass and everybody was so excited Jesus was coming in 1988. Except for those of us who knew the Bible, it says that nobody knew the time and, time and day. Uh, now, I would look, I'm looking forward to Jesus coming. I really am looking forward to him coming. I hope he comes this afternoon. I hope he comes before we're done with church. But we don't know when he's coming. Now, we're looking at what Jesus told the disciples the end days would be like. First thing he said was nations would rise up against nations, kingdom against kingdom. Our world has been at war forever. Seems like forever. Right now, I looked it up, and last night I looked up, and as of last night, there's 139 active wars where 100 or more people have died in our world right now. Now, we're all very familiar with, uh, you know, Russia's attack right now. We're, 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 but we don't even know of all, you know, most of us don't know of all the wars going on in South, America, uh, South Af uh, Africa right now because each of these tribes and nations are fighting each other. And all the, and all the Asian wars right now where they where they're all basically religious wars going on, where people are being cleansed out. We have so many wars going on in this world that this part of the prophecy of the end times is true. You know, what really amazes me, though, is we keep hearing that we're a, we're a world at peace. You know, we're a world at peace. Not so much now that Russia's battling, but, you know, before that, we're a world at peace. There's no wars going on except for all the hundred, hundred and some wars that people are being killed all the time. But Jesus said the end would be wars and nations and commotions or disturbances going on all around the world. And we are there. We are, we are set. That's one of the first signs to say we're in the end times. But what did he say? These, the end are not yet. Just because you see these signs, the end is not there. He then went on to say not only would it be that, but there would be earthquakes in diverse places. Now, I've kind of been looking into this, and it's very interesting that 
There's probably not more earthquakes than there have ever been. There's a little few more this year, this, this last few years than it has been in other places, but only about a hundred or two. So I'm not going to say that's great because uh, there's almost a thousand earthquakes a year. Uh, 15, excuse me, 1,500 earthquakes a year and we're up to about 1,700 these last, in the last 12 months. Little, little increase, but not, but diverse places. You know, what was it a couple years ago we heard of earthquakes in Tennessee and Kentucky? You know, how many earthquakes have happened in Tennessee and Kentucky, you know, in our lifetime, you know? Uh, and we're hearing about earthquakes all over the place that aren't in the ring of fire. You know, if you live in the Pacific uh, coastlines, you are used to earthquakes. Uh, when I lived in California, Washington, earth earthquakes. When I lived in Guam, earthquakes all the time in Guam. Uh, all of, all of uh, the eastern side of Asia, earthquakes. The Ring of Fire has earthquakes all the time. You know, uh, west coast of America, earthquakes. East coast, not so much. All right? If they get an earthquake, it's a big deal. Diverse places. Turkey just recently had several big earthquakes. It's been a long time since Turkey has had earthquakes. We're seeing this part come true. But not only the earthquakes, but how about all the storms of the century we've been bombarded with over the last, uh, last decade or two? It's the storm of the century. It's the hurricane of the century. And then next year, it's a new hurricane of the century. God is using nature to bring judgment just as he always has done in the Bible. Over and over again, God has used judgment of rain, earthquakes, you know, we had uh, Cor the Korite uh, rebellion where they, God just opened the whole earth and swallowed them and closed it back up. Now, that's a pretty major earthquake. Mm -hmm. To open up underneath the people who are going to be judged and then close back up. That's a pretty major earthquake that God used to quell a rebellion. Many times he used hailstones in the middle of a battle to win the battle for Israel. If you read through the book of Judges, it's quite interesting how God used nature to win their battles. One battle, hailstones fell down and killed more people than the, than the Israelites did. Another one, the, the hornets came in and a swarm of hornets killed more people than the Israelites did. You know, God has used nature over and over. And when he's judging his people, he also brings famine and pestilences. You know, I read an article, uh, a statement last night from the uh, UN governor. Let me see if I got his name here. The governor, the chief, the chief governor, he says, we face an unprecedented global famine. This was said last year in the world. Now, we in America, we, we feel bad because our shelves aren't full. Now, mostly supply issues, they tell us, but it may be famine issues as well. But you know, uh, it's kind of interesting. You go to the store and the shelves are not very full sometimes. And sometimes they've got everything pulled forward, so they look full and they're not really full. You go to buy stuff and there's nothing behind the front row. But you know, the whole world is suffering from this right now. Part of that is man-made. Part of it is man has genetically engineered these things so that they cannot reproduce from the seeds within the fruit. So most of you buy at the store, if you plant those seeds, you're not going to get anything. You dry them out, plant them, you're not going to get anything because of the genetic engineering that's been done to it, which really makes things difficult when it's time for famine. I think most of these famines are going to be man-made you know, man reasons, but God still knew that they were going to happen. And how about all the diseases that are coming our way? You know, our most recent one, of course, COVID. But before that, it was HIV. And you know, we, we can go back through all the different diseases that, that were supposed to wipe out humanity. Uh, I don't, you know, COVID was one of those things where we've got to be panicked. Everything's going to be a problem. 
If you remember back to HIV when it first came out, everybody was panicking. It was going to wipe out the whole, all of, all of humanity. And there's been other ones that, you know, going back further beyond our, beyond our days. But God says there's going to be famines. There's going to be wars. There's going to be weather issues. There's going to be diseases. And I don't know what the next big disease is that's going to come our way. The panic that COVID caused, I don't know what, you know, what kind of panic will be caused with that. And he goes, all of these things, he says, do not be afraid. I am amazed, and you all know I don't watch news very often or even TV very often, but you know, when I turn on the TV or look at the internet, I'm amazed at how much the, the government and the news media want us to be afraid. It amazes me. But I look at the Bible and go, this is just what God said. They were going to create fear. They want fear because people who are afraid are easy to control. And it's very interesting that God tells us three, over 300 times, fear not. Who is it that we trust? Do we trust ourselves, our government? Well, we're in trouble if we trust either one of those entities, even ourselves. We are to trust God. And if our trust is in God, we know that he is in control. I love knowing that God is in control. I listen to these reports and I'm going, well, you know what? God didn't, didn't walk away. He's still in control. He knew what was going on. And it really sounds like the end times to me. I love the fact that when I listen to the, when I do pay attention to the news, I do pay attention to what's going on. I'm going, wow, God, you said all this stuff was going to happen. You knew it was going to happen. And according to Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun anyway. There's been wars and rumors of wars. There's been diseases. There haven't been worldwide in most cases. But you know, all of this stuff is not new. But God says it was going to intensify, and it is intensifying. One of the, one of the science programs I listened to said that mankind only has about two to 300 years left because of the degradation of our DNA. And you know, I think that's probably a fairly true statement. Our DNA has been degrading so much over the years that more and more diseases and people are born with diseases, born with handicaps because of the destruction of the DNA, which was perfect at the creation with Adam and Eve and has been degrading since. It doesn't surprise me. And they're probably true because every time there's a reproduction, uh, you know, a portion of the bad DNA gets passed on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And they're saying that our DNA is so full of garbage now that all of those are going to keep getting passed on and the, and the world will be devoid of humans because of the DNA destruction. I have no problem with that because I think we're at the end times anyway. I don't think we're going to get there. The good news is when Jesus returns and he starts the millennial kingdom, he makes everything as perfect as it can be with sin, with a sin, sin-sick world. And he'll give a creation that can last for another thousand years. So our scientists aren't quite right. The other thing that we read, you know, you hear all the time is, especially those of us who grew up in the 60s and 70s, the world's going to fall apart and be destroyed by nuclear weapons. My Bible doesn't say that. Now, I'm not going to de deny that there might be nuclear weapons used in some part of the world, but the world is not going to end because of a nuclear destruction. Because Jesus is going to return, and he's going to reign in this world for a thousand years, so there has to be a world, and there has to be people for him to reign over. So we can know all these things that we're trying to be made afraid of by mankind, let them go in one ear and out the other. Let them balance for what they're worth. 
God tells us what's going to happen. He tells us that all the nations are going to come against Israel during the tribulation period, and he's going to rescue Israel. And it's not going to be by nuclear destruction. All right? We need to understand, look at God's word, understand what he says, and that gets rid of a lot of our fears when we understand what God says about things. When we can trust and rest in him, it's what's important. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on unto your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And how much peace can we have when our trust is in God rather than listening to all the stupid stuff that mankind is telling us? You know, oh, you've got to be afraid of this. You've got to be afraid of that. You've got you to be careful of this. You've got to be careful of this. And I'm not saying some of it is not wise advice, but don't go fearful into it. All right? So we want to be very careful. All these things, Jesus said, are just the beginning. And he says, and behold, all these things they shall lay, but before all these things they shall lay hands on you and per persecute you and deliver you. There's going to be a persecution. Now, there's been persecution of the church for, for 2,000 years. And if you go back for Israel, there's been a persecution of the church for 3,500 years or more. All right? God's people are always persecuted. Now, it's kind of funny when you're reading into the news and going, oh, those Christians, they have this persecution complex. Well, you know what? When the rules are going against you, you're going to, have a, you're going to be saying that it's a, there's a problem. You know, and I think there's problems for other people, too. Don't get me wrong. There's lots of, lots of persecution because the freedom keeps getting attacked. But Jesus said we will be persecuted. We will face all kinds of problems. And most of the world, Christians face persecution today. Here in America, we are isolated from hearing about these persecutions going on. If you read uh, Voice of the Martyrs or you get into any of these groups to talk to you about the persecutions that are going on in the world right now, most of Africa, most of Asia, most of the Micronesian islands, if you're a Christian, your life expectancy isn't very long. Your, your life expectancy is less than a year or two. You're getting, they're getting martyred. There are millions of Christians being killed every single year. And we don't hear about them in America. But the persecution is happening. We need to prepare because persecution is starting in Europe for Christians. Still, still small scale. Canada has persecution in Christians all the time. They get sent to prison for speaking God's word. We in America are starting to feel it, and it's going to get worse because the end times we cannot permit Christians to speak out against what they're doing. Right now, the only thing holding back total destruction in this world is the Christians that are praying and speaking out against what's going on. Now, we're, losing, we're in a losing battle because everything else is going against us, but we get to bring light and salt into things and say, this is wrong. This is wrong. You can't do it. And you know what? The world does not like being told what they're doing is wrong. Neither did we when we were kids. Neither did our kids. Nobody likes to be told that what you're doing is wrong even when you know you're wrong. The world does not like to hear that what they're doing is wrong because what do they tell us? Well, that's what you believe. That's your truth. It's not what I believe. Now, and I used to have fun when I was going to school and everybody going, well, that's just your truth. I'm going, okay, well, what... You know, isn't truth truth? And then go, we know there's no absolute truth. 
And you all know I love that statement. When somebody says that there's no absolute truth, I'll ask them, is that absolutely true? You just said it's absolute truth that it is no such thing as absolute truth, so therefore your statement is false. You know, so there either has to be an absolute truth or there is no absolute truth, otherwise your statement is wrong. And you know, it's funny when you call them out on their statements. They don't like it. When they show the illogic of their statements, it doesn't make sense to them. And Jesus said, we will be delivered up. And listen to the group that he says. You'll be arrested, number one. You'll be put before religious leaders. We in America are already at that point. There are entire denominations that have turned away from God and, and the Bible. And they ridicule remnant Christians and Bible-believing Christians all the time. We're already in that stage in America currently, being put up before religious leaders. And it's an amazing thing that we watch. When you hold Bible standards, people will give you all kinds of world answers to defend their positions. All right, uh, the Southern Baptists just kicked out four churches for biblical uh, problems, and the largest of those churches is defending his position, saying the Southern Baptists are wrong. And you know, and he's trying to, and he's given all these different reasons on why it is taking scriptures out of context and everything, and trying to defend himself. But it's happening. We're seeing it happen over and over. The next step would be to be put into prison and be put in front of governments, and ultimately to be executed. Now, we in America probably can't even fathom the idea that we will be put into prison for our religious beliefs. But all you got to do is look at some of the stuff that's going on today. You know, we have leaders in our governmental positions that do not talk about freedom of religion, which the Constitution talks about. They say you have the freedom to worship. And that's an entirely different topic. Freedom of worship says we can do and say anything we want inside this room. I can do or say anything I want in my, in my house, but don't dare take it outside these walls and, and live what my religion says to live. It's a big difference. And, and, you know, I hope you all will listen to your leaders because they're not talking about freedom of religion, especially the left. The left will talk about freedom of worship. But I've even seen many of the conservatives that are speaking the word freedom of worship rather than freedom of religion. It's a big difference, and we need to stand up. And when we're voting, vote for people who are going to stand up for the Constitution at the very least. You know, if not the Bible, which is what I would prefer, but at least have them stand up for the Constitution. Because this is our hope. In America, we are very blessed because we get to vote out our leaders. Bad news on that, God still has his way. He turns the heart. He, if, if he wants somebody to be in there to bring punishment and disaster to this country, he'll put them in anyway, no matter what. So we need to be able to understand that. And most of the time, we don't have a good choice anyway. But we're going to be stood up before the leaders. But what did he say about all of this? He goes, you're going to have all of this. He goes, and in verse 13, and it shall turn to you for a testimony. All of the things that we think are bad in our life are there for a testimony of what God will do for us. You, we're studying the book of Job on, on Sunday nights. What is, what is Job? Job goes through hell for however long a you know, period that was. We don't know exactly how long it was. He loses everything. And he has his three, one, uh, well, three friends and, a, and an extra who, who make his life miserable, telling him that he must be awful for all these bad things. And, when it, and if you read at the end of the book, 
God restores everything to him. So what's his testimony? I stood for God and God took away and he gave back. How many times have we been able to say that in our life? When we look at something and it looks like our whole life has been turned upside down, sometimes it's been shaken, and we have, you know, feeling like, God, what in the world are you doing in my life? How can you let all this happen to me? And then we go a little further and we say, okay, God, now I, I see how this is part of my testimony. You use this for my testimony so that I could share with other people. And I hope you've all been there. If you're one of his, you should have been there at some point where your whole world gets shaken upside down, but you come out and say, this is what God did. This is the reward that came out on the other side. I've seen it over and over in my life. And I can't say every single time my life has been shook up, I've, I've seen the, the testimony side of it. But I've also had many times where my life has been shook up and God has brought me out on the other side and go, this is the testimony. Now, the idea of how many times did God not answer the prayer that you absolutely knew was perfect for you and then later on you found out, I am so glad God didn't answer that prayer. I would not have been, you know, I would not have been where I should have been or I would have been, I would have had my house built up on that cliff that fell into the water because, because of the earthquake that came along. I don't know if anybody's had one that bad or not, but you, know, you understand what I'm saying. You look back and say, if God had answered that prayer, that's what would have happened. All of this is for our testimony. God knows what he's doing. His vision is a lot better than ours. He knows the beginning from the end. You know, we think we know what's best because we think we know what's best for us for a day or two or a week or maybe even a year. And God says that I know what's best for you 20 years from now. I know what's best for you a year and a half from now. I know what's best for you tomorrow because you don't know what's best for you tomorrow. And, he's, you know, we need to be, learn all the time to trust in God. I know I do. I've learned to trust in him a lot, but I still don't trust him as well as I should. We all need to learn to trust more in God's decisions and quit trying to tell God what's best for us. Now, I've kind of grown out of the habit, I still do it once in a while, of telling God how I want a prayer answered. God, I need this, and I'd really like you to see it done this way. And I know that God laughs when he hears that. Now, um, somehow, I, God has never asked me for his, my advice on any topic in the world. Yeah. None. I don't know of any person that he's asked for advice from. No matter how smart they are, he's never asked them for advice. And yet, how many times do we try to advise God? God, you know, I really need this car, and I need it by this person. This person over there, they got, an, they got five cars. They really don't need it. God, give them, have them give me that nice car over there that they have. We need to be careful about that. God's got plans that we do not even know about and answers that we do not know about or consider. And then he says, the next thing he says after that is this, settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer. Settle, be established. One of the great things that I have found about God is he will fill our mouth when we talk. When you're given a testimony, you're sharing the gospel, you know, you may not feel like you're adequate to share that gospel message to anybody. But have you ever been talking to somebody and started listening to yourself and realizing it's no longer you talking but God talking? It's happened to me more than once. You know, and all of a sudden I'm talking along and go, where did that come from? 
Where did those words come from? God will fill our mouths. Now that does not mean we don't study. It doesn't mean that we don't prepare. But we don't worry about what we're going to say. One of the great things about worry is that most of what you worry about never comes true in the first place, so quit worrying. I used to spend a lot of time trying to figure out, I was a manager, so I had to actually plan all the things that possibly could go wrong and have answers to everything that could possibly go wrong. Most of the time, nothing went wrong. Now, it was nice to have had my plans and ready to go when things did go wrong, but how much energy did I spend trying to plan on what I was going to do for every possible scenario that could go wrong? Now, when you're in the business world, you kind of have to plan on that anyway, because you'll get sued if you don't. But for us as human beings on a normal day-to-day -day life, we do not need to plan on, well, I'm going to walk out that door, and you know, there might be a car coming, there might be a car speeding along, what am I going to do, and how am I going to do it? Don't waste a lot of time trying to figure these things out. He was telling the disciples, don't even worry about when they arrest you, what you're going to say and defend yourself with. Because he will fill your mouth. And we need to be able to understand, we prepare, we learn, we study. But we don't necessarily need to go, all right, when I get arrested for this thing, and if it's this thing, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say that, and I'm going to plan on this, and when they ask me this, I'm going to, God says, don't waste your time doing that. He will fill the mouth, and that's exactly what he said. Settle it in your heart that you're going to trust in him. We need to be able to understand this idea of trust in God. Complete trust in him. Now, we want to walk a fine line. That doesn't mean, okay, God, you're going to fill my mind so I never have to pick up my Bible. I never have to study my Bible. I don't have to learn anything because you're going to fill my mind. No, he, needs, he wants our minds filled with something. He just doesn't want us worried about how we're going to answer. I have studied for, you know, for 50 years the Bible so that I could know the Bible. But you know what? When you all come up and go, Pastor, I've got a question I want to ask you. But I'm not going to go, okay, how, what's he going to ask? How am I going to answer this and all this other stuff? It's like, okay, give me your question. And go, okay, God, let's get the answer. But it's drawn on what I know. All right? There has to be something there for the Holy Spirit to draw on. Now, technically, he could draw on an empty brain, but that's not quite the way he does it. Now, he did use Balaam's donkey to talk to Balaam. So he can use anything included empty-headed people but we don't need to be empty-headed people he challenges us to learn to study he says i will give you a mouth of wisdom and all your adversaries will not be able to gainsay or resist it's an amazing thing just in the bible they could not answer stephen's defense on on, on that they stoned him they could not answer paul's defenses they stoned him and and on all the, and chased him out of town and beat him if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you'll read story after story of average, everyday Christians answering their adversaries and not being able to be answered. Don't worry about this. When you're speaking to people, when you're sharing with people, let the Holy Spirit work through you. And you'll find, you know, like I said, more than often, I just start listening to myself and going, wow, God, you're, you're doing, it's my voice, but it's not me speaking anymore. And I hope you've all experienced that at some point, talking to people. That it's not me. As a matter of fact, if I'm talking to people, it's not me. I'm not that kind of a person. I don't like to talk to people that much. <laughs> uh, so it's very interesting. He also then went in the last part of this one that he says, you will be betrayed. 
Now, it's kind of an interesting thing that he says. You're going to be betrayed by your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, your, your aunts, your uncles, your friends, your relatives, and everybody else. How many times has this been seen in history where a dictatorship takes over a position and people start turning in all their family and friends? You get to the place where you don't know who you can trust anymore. Jesus said that was going to happen, and it's happened several times, and it's going to happen again as things get pressured. That, well, you know, that person said such and such. You know, that person said that these things are, these things are sin. You've got to go talk to them. You know, we did it during the McCarthy era when all these people, if you just talked to somebody who was a supposed Christ communist, you'd be in trouble. All right? It's coming, and it's going to get worse, and it's been, been coming and going. Remember, nothing new under the sun. These things have all been happening but it's coming our way for Christians. I've all the time told you I expect one day to be put into prison because I can't keep my mouth shut about God. I can't keep my mouth shut, shut about sins. Not that I judge them, but they'll go, what do you think about this? I go, God calls it a sin. That's all I do. I, I make it real simple. I go, I don't, I don't say it's a sin. I say God calls it a sin. And let them deal with it from there. But I get to talk. I love when people open up the, open up the door for me. I work out at the prison, and it's wonderful when somebody will ask me a question about the Bible or God. Yeah, kind of good benefit. I'm not, a, I'm not a chaplain anymore, but they still know that I was a chaplain, so they ask me, and they know, many of them know I'm a pastor, so they ask me questions about the Bible and God all the time. And as soon as they ask me, I can tell them anything they, I want to because they open the door. Now, I don't go running around preaching to them. You know, that's not my job. I'm an instructor. I'm not a, pastor, a, a chaplain anymore, but, you know, when they open the door, I take advantage of it. Do you take advantage of the doors that are open for you wherever you're at? No. We need to be able to share God's love with people. And it might be just as simple as God loves you. You know, there are people out there, if you tell them that God loves them, they'll go, no, there's no way God can love me. Have you ever invited somebody in church and they'll go, well, the walls will fall down if I come in. Well, come on in. Our church is strong. I think, it, I think it'll hold up. And if God drops the walls on us, we'll build new ones. <laughs> we have insurance. You know, they're not going to fall down. I've shared with you, don't let people get away with these little silly statements for you. Challenge them to come in. The walls will fall down. I'll become, come on in. I think our walls will hold up, but we'll see. I love it when people say, I can't believe the Bible is full of contradictions. And you all know exactly what I tell you to say. Name one. Name one. I mean, I've only been studying for over 50 years. I haven't found a contradiction in the Bible yet. I look for them. Believe me, I look for them. I haven't found one. I found some apparent contradictions, and I know exactly what the ones are going to say. You know, if they actually have done any study, I know what they're going to say. And I'll answer them. I'll help them find the answer. But there aren't any contradictions in the Bible. So we need to challenge people. Most people don't expect you to challenge them. They figure if, you, if, if they ask you what they think is a hard question, you're just going to shut up and walk away. Just ask them. You know, what, 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 what is your problem? You know, well, I don't believe this. Well, why don't you believe it? You know, they don't expect us to ask questions. They really don't. When I was in the college con uh, environment, they used to really go crazy because I'd ask them to prove what they said. I asked them to be good college students. You just said such and such. What is your proof for that statement? And they're going, uh, I've heard it. That's your proof. You heard something. 
you know, and challenge them, go, go check out your, go check it out. Be a good student and check it out. But there are going to be things that they are going to put us to death. He says, some will, will die. And I love this. Before he said some will die, he says, and not a hair of your head would perish. And then it says, and some of you will die. And people go, see, right there's a, right there's a contradiction. Well, you know, for us as Christians, death is not a bad thing. We die as Christians, we get to go to heaven. We do not perish. We have eternal life. All they do is separate our spirit from this body. And that's a good thing. This body is full of sin, death, and destruction. It fights against the spirit all the time. I look forward to the day when my body is going to be dead and I get to go to heaven and get a glorified body and be released from the sin nature and released from, the, from all the death and destruction. Now, I'm not saying go do something immediately to go kill yourself. No, that's not a good thing either. But, you know, I am looking forward to the day that God says it's time to go home. Whether it's by rapture and I just don't, get, I don't have to die or by death and I get to go to heaven. None of us will perish when we're his children. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our body dies, but we get to live on. Wonderful truth for us. What expertise does that give us? What can any man do to us that is going to bring us to perishing? They can't do anything. The worst that they think they can do is kill us, and that just releases us to go home. And I've shared with you, and I used to make people crazy. When I was in high school, I used to say, they go, well, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to just do it right because I don't want to I don't have to suffer. And they'd look at me like I was crazy. I'm going, you kill me, and I go to heaven. That's wonderful. And then I end up witnessing to them, which made them even angrier. <laughs> you know, but do we really truly believe that death is our rescue? And it's something we need to understand. As Christians, death is our friend because it sends us home. Now, I realize people on earth are going to hopefully miss us. Hopefully. Some people will be. Some people won't be. But, you know, even for us, how do we look at the death of a loved one, especially when we know they're saved? They just went home. This is why I love naming our memorials homegoings. The Christian went home. And I've shared this with my family and my kids and everybody. When I die, I want to have a loud party that I went home. I want loud, lively music. I want a celebration of that I went home. I want God's gospel message brought out. You know, put everybody in Hawaiian shirts or something. Make it, make it bright, bright and happy. I went home. And you know what? As long as you're a Christian, you'll see me again. That's all that matters. This is why I want the gospel presented. I want a happy time because I went home, and this is what I encourage others to do. Not too many people ever listen to me, but you know, I encourage. It's a celebration for a Christian to have died. They went home. Their pain is over. Their struggles are over. The, all the issues of life are over. Now, yes, we might miss them. Some people will be missed more than others. But they still went home. And Jesus said this very statement that they shall not perish. And he goes, in your patience, your endurance, your steadfastness, 
possess your soul. This last statement I'm going to try to do quicker. I ran out of time, but I'm going to go cover it anyway. Possess your soul. Soul is the seat of the emotions. How many times are we driven by our emotional thoughts rather than by what God says? Well, I am so angry that I, and I end up killing somebody because I'm so angry. I am so sad, I'm just going to be miserable for weeks because I am so sad. Which then leads into depression and all these other things. But we let our emotions run us. We are to possess our emotions. We are to trust in God and let him take care of the emotions. Now, we can't get rid of our emotions. Don't get me wrong. We are human beings. We will have emotions. But we are not to be possessed by our emotions. This is the defense of many people in, in court. Well, I killed this guy because they made me so angry I just couldn't help myself. God says, possess your soul. You are in control. We are in control, ultimately, of our emotions if we have the right attitude. And we take and we possess them. In Corinthians, we're told, take every thought captive in God and the Holy Spirit. We are in control of what we think. People, well, I just can't help what I think. On one side, they're right, but you are very in control of what you do with those thoughts. Now, I can tell you how many times, especially when I'm, you all know I'm terrible, terrible on the road. I hate, I hate dumb drivers, and there are way too many dumb drivers. You know, and I think, boy, I just wish I had a gun in my car, so, you know, a gun in the front of my car so that car would not be in the road anymore. Now, I'm glad there's not a gun in my car, because I'd probably use a stupid thing. <laughs> you know, I just want that guy, I want his tires shot out, make him off, get him off the road, he's too dumb to be driving. Now, it doesn't matter who they are. There's a lot of dumb drivers on the car. Many people may say, I'm a dumb driver. I don't know. But, you know, how many times do we get those kind of emotions? But we need to be captivating our emotions, putting them under control of God's thoughts. What does God say? He says, you have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. You know, very opposite of what our emotions are. Live in the Holy Spirit's emotional baggage and you're going to be a lot better off. You know, you'll be nice to all those dumb drivers out there that don't deserve to be on the road. You won't, you'll be giving God bless them. You know, let them keep driving. But do help them get better at driving. You know, but do we sit and focus on God and possess ourselves? Or do we just let loose? And, you know, the sad thing is we find over and over times, who gets the blunt of our anger so many times? Family members. Why? Because they've got to love us because they're family. I can do whatever I want. I can say I can do whatever I want. I'll be nice all day at work. I'll be nice to all the people around me. But when I get, around, when I get home, they're just, they're just going to say the wrong thing, and I'm just going to unload on them because I don't have to be nice anymore. I still remember one of my fights as a teenager was with, with my best friend who said something he always said, and I hit him because I was having a bad day. You know, I was having a really bad day, and I hit my best friend. Not very nice. But, you know, we tend to do this all the time. We let down our guard on those that are supposed to like us or love us. We need to be very careful about that and express God's love to them as well and, and the care for them at all times. And I know it's hard, believe me, I know it can be very hard. But you know, this is the science of the end times. People are going to keep going against one another. 
And I'm amazed when I look at all the different groups that are out there right now and how the media and the government is trying to fragment our groups and put every group against each other. Well, you weren't supposed to like them, and they said this, and they said that, and they said this, and you, know, you say something that's totally innocent, and they go, oh, that word has a bad context to this group over here, and you say, now they're going to be mad at you because you said this, and you, know, and you all are all supposed to hate each other. What did Jesus say? They will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. Even in the Christian circles, it bothers me when I see various churches just attacking other churches because they don't agree 100% with them. You know, thank God. They're still giving out the gospel message, hopefully. If they're not giving the gospel message, they're not part of the church anyway, and God will take care of them, and they're still not my problem. God will take care of them. We need to be able to understand that our job is to love others. Now, love does not mean we let them do whatever they want. I love people enough to tell them that God calls what they're doing a sin. I don't judge them, but I'm going to say God calls this activity a sin, whatever that activity might be. I had an assistant manager that one time that asked me about homosexuality because she was a lesbian, and I go, God calls it a sin. And I left it at that. She goes, well, what do you think about it? I go, God calls it a sin. That's all I'm going to say about it. What does God call sin? Homosexuality, transgenderism, fornication, adultery. He's got all kinds of things. Lying, stealing, you know, all gossip, all these different things. Gluttony, all these things he calls sin. We don't need to judge one another for it. We just love one another. We just say, this is what God says. And we still love one another for it. And let God work on the individual. But these are all parts of the signs that Jesus said are the end times. I truly believe we are at the end times. I don't see that we can go much further. He says that everybody would do what was right in their own eyes. What are we finding out in today's world? Everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. Well, I have no problem with this. I, you know, uh, I have no problem with this. This is okay by me. You know, one good news is God has never changed. He never will change. We need to stand on his truth. And if that makes us the people's enemy, it will make us his enemy. And he says, you'll be persecuted. Good news. We as Christians will be persecuted. We will go through hard times. The sad message in the Christian church in America, especially, is get saved and everything will be good. I don't know where they find that in the Bible. And it leads a lot of people away from Christianity because they get quote-unquote saved and everything doesn't become good and they just say, well, I was lied to. And they were lied to because that's not what God said. God says, get saved and you'll be persecuted. Isn't that a wonderful message? Turn to Jesus and go to heaven, but on earth you're going to be persecuted. It is a good message in the long run. It, it's a little harder to sell than the idea of get saved and everything's going to be good. But that is a lie that drives more people away from God than, than draws them to him. Because I've heard so many people go, well, I don't understand. I got saved and I'm going through hell. And everybody who's ever done anything in this church, what's the first thing I tell you that's going to happen when you go to do anything for God? Get ready for the attack. And I, and I watch them shake their head, yes, it happened just like that. I started serving God and I got attacked. It's not to stop us from serving God, but it is to say, get ready. Be ready for it. If you're ready for the attack, it is not as bad as just being attacked and, and blindsided. I, I played football when I was in high school, and I, and I was a defensive lineman. I hated trap plays. 
you don't know what a trap play is, they opened up a hole, you run, the defensive man runs through it and the guy blindsides him. From coming along the, coming along the, the line and blindsides him. I'm on, I got bead, bead on the, bead to tackle the guy and all of a sudden I get hit from the side. <laughs> Satan loves to blindside us. He'll open it up and say, if we're not ready, he loves it. We need to have that preparation. We are in a battle. Be ready for the attack. Be ready for what's going to come your way. Lord, we ask you to bless us as we go about your business today. Lord, help us to be prepared for all that you have in, your, in store for us. Help us to be settled in our heart. Help us to trust you to be our control in our, of us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.